0: What up, everyone? It is another episode of Watch If You Dare. What up, everybody? Today, you're hearing the smooth voice of Derek Davon Smith, and joining me as always is Aaron Mansfield. Aaron, how have you
1: been lately? I have been oopy spoopy, doopy poopy. (laughs) Speaking of which, have you gotten into anything spoopy lately? I have been listening to the west memphis three episodes of last podcast on the left and becoming infuriated with life um good good I, i'm glad we're at good attitudes
0: for this episode uh.
1: i have also been neck deep in some halloween movies for scary movie month um so i have revisited things like the exorcist one and two um two was kind of a that was maybe a bad decision to go back and Rewatch that movie but you know ser- it's fine I
0: seriously cannot wait until we do those movies for this show because I've seen the first one I mean I've seen it probably two or three times it's been at least a decade since I last watched it but I have not seen two or three I've seen scenes from two or three especially three and two it seems batshit three I hear is actually legit good so I'm excited to watch both
1: yeah three is good two two is trying to be something completely different and it's bananas Like, I love John Borman. I love Deliverance. I love Excalibur, but like, that movie is ludicrous. So I watched those. I watched Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Cube and Body Melt, which was not good sorry to interrupt you but how does cube hold up that movie holds up fine really okay yeah we so we were going through and just watching a lot of like random stuff that we had had on watch lists that heather has never seen before we watched mary shelley's frankenstein because it's big and lavish and gothic it's not like entirely great um, but it has some neat stuff in it And I still like the idea of, like, Robert De Niro as the monster. So that's an interesting piece of casting. But she likes what we jokingly refer to as big hat movies. So anything that's, like, gothic, fantasy, giant, poofy dresses, um, she's all about. Crimson Peak is a perfect example of that. We both love that movie. I'm super excited about the Arrow Blu-ray release of that that's coming out sometime later this year. But we watched the exorcist together and that was the first time that she had seen it and you know she was kind of like oh hmm, that was the exorcist so it's hilarious like the difference in impact that that movie has today compared to when it came out decades ago when like people were literally like rioting in the streets over that fucking movie and now like my wife sits and watches it and is just like oh yeah okay Yeah, that's all the reaction she really has, because at this point, it's just been so soaked into our pop culture over the decades in every way, shape and form that you can think of. And it's just become such a like staple and a joke. And often many times, but she was like, yeah, that was good. Okay. You know, no no real impact there.
0: I, I was going to say, I think with that movie, and again, we will probably... It's the fucking extras. So we're going to be doing it somewhere down the line. For sure, yeah. Off the top of my head, I think the only scene that would still probably get me to this day is the stairs scene, like the spider crawl down the stairs scene. That's a solid scare, like a timeless solid scare. But otherwise, like, yeah, I'm trying to remember, like, through that movie. And there are, like, creepy moments and stuff. I can see why it was so shocking back when it came out. But yeah, now totally. it's like no
1: whatever <laughs> yeah i can see why it is shocking certainly which another thing i just watched the other night is the um takashi miike episode of masters of horror uh, which that whole series is on 2b tv right now for free and there's a lot of really good episodes there in case you don't know masters of horror was a tv show that ran on showtime okay And it was an anthology show where every episode was roughly an hour long, but they had a different, like, master of horror director on to direct, like, a short movie, essentially. So Carpenter did one, um, Stuart Gordon, and just all that group of people. But Takashi Miike's episode specifically was, like, banned from being televised because it was so extreme. I watched it and was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty shocking and intense and ridiculous because it's Takashi Miike, but I look at something like that and to me that little short movie was more extreme than pretty much anything that's in The Exorcist. I can definitely like understand why that movie was shocking then and why it doesn't make as big of an impact now, but I'll say this. The thing about The Exorcist, and maybe this is just because I'm older, the family aspect of that movie the fact that Karis is dealing with like his mother's death, and you have this mother who's dealing with you know her daughter kind of going off into this spiral, and she's struggling with how do you cope with it, and Ellen Burstyn is quite often like really on edge and volatile in that movie but it's completely understandable like you completely understand like her rage and her frustration and where she's coming from and her sense of helplessness and that to me is a lot more terrifying than just like oh yeah this green girl threw up pea soup all over this guy you know like just the not knowing what to do when something's wrong um especially with your child like that to me is a lot more terrifying than anything and that's where that movie is It's so good on a humanist level that regardless of, like, where your faith lies in terms of how the actual movie's scares affect you, the humanist angle of that movie is completely relatable, and that's where it draws people in, regardless of, like, what their background or what their faith is and everything else. The scene that, honestly, Heather and I both, like, cringed at the most is the scene where they are doing all the medical examinations on Reagan, and they are, like, throwing her through, like, some kind of old-school CAT scan where yeah. they're having to do the, like, metal injection into her, and you just see, like, blood shooting out of her neck and everything like that. That's super, super uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, that 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 is... I do remember that part of the movie, and it also made me feel pretty uncomfortable when I watched it.
1: Like, all the medical stuff in in that movie is way more terrifying to me than any of the actual, like, demon stuff. That's pretty much it for me. I've just been mostly catching up on movies and watching some old stuff that I've seen a million times just to kind of have that comfort food. So, what have you been up to?
0: I have a couple things. So, again, this is dating when we're recording this, but... We are recording this about two weeks away from Halloween 2018. By the time you hear this, this will probably be way past 2018. But yeah, since it's kind of the oopy spoopy month, I've been uh, like watching movies for the podcast, but also too, I've been catching up on my comics and I've been kind of putting like any of the horror or mind fuck related comics that I read higher up on the stack. So I read them sooner because normally I organize my comics by like my least favorite stuff, but I still like to my favorite comics. So usually it's like, gambit rogue on the bottom with batman and things like that because those are just my favorite books and favorite heroes and then like towards the top is like the walking dead which is like yeah the walking dead's great and solid but it's out of my own personal taste it's it's like my least favorite that i read
1: i haven't read that book in years i think i quit reading that book around the time that the guy with the dreadlocks and the tiger showed up and i was just kind of like well <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, if you don't, if you didn't like that, please, if you
0: didn't like that part, you're not going to like where it's been going, but it's held my interest. But two books I wanted to touch on. One was one that we had mentioned definitely in a previous episode, but I want to mention again because I just read issue two literally yesterday is again, Colin Bunn's Cold Spots. It is so good. The art in it. Um, I believe the art is done by Mark Torres it's just a great like psychological supernatural horror book it really I'm gonna be shocked if this is never adapted in, into a movie or like mini series of some kind because this this reads like a great horror movie and Colin Bunn just look up his bibliography like of comics that he's read specifically written specifically stuff he's written for like image and and stuff that's like non-marvel or DC
1: there's so much horror stuff
0: he is all about writing horror like Harrow County is fantastic which he just finished <laughs> he's had so many like mini series that are horror related
1: he's doing the Pumpkinhead series for Boom Comics as well
0: yeah I really enjoyed the second issue of that and then another comic which is one I don't think I brought up it's a bit of a surprise to me because I was kind of expecting more just like so I, I, I also read some Zenoscope comics which that's kind of my guilty pleasure comics because it's very much like cheesecake art it's very much like Pinup Girls and things like that. The stories are actually surprisingly pretty good, but if you just judge it based off the covers, it looks like Pinup Girls. But like they're doing a mini series called Paradise Court, um, and it's being written by Joe Brusha, and the art is by, uh, and I'm probably butchering this name, but uh, Babu Sue Cortes. Um, And it's basically about like these young couples that are like taking a trip and they wind up going to visit one of the girls in the group, her childhood friend that she hadn't seen in years, like lives in this gated community called Paradise Court. And so they decide to stay there for the night, like on their way to California wherever they're going. And even though it seems like this idyllic gated community not everything is what it seems and it reads a lot like a kind of modern day b movie slasher horror style and like i said i think it's about three issues in it is surprisingly really good it's a lot of fun it's there's no real deeper messages or meaning to it it's just a fun read it's a good horror comic and i highly recommend it xenoscope does actually not on top of like their fantasy grim stuff they also do dark fantasy and horror horror quite a lot and this is this is an example of one of those times what else has been have i been digging into so Speaking of music, Mansfield and I were talking before we started recording on some music we've been listening to lately. I've actually been listening to an album called Haunted by Poe yeah, uh, quite a bit. And I think it's an album you had sent me a while back. I had no idea. And I've been listening to it for a couple months now on and off. And it is very, it's like alternative rock mixed with trip hop and electronica mixed with experimental rock. Her album is so good. <laughs> like, it's just so good. And like, it feels like a concept album written for a horror movie well I, I i dug into it i looked up some more stuff about it okay i was, I was just about yeah. to interrupt you yeah, yeah, yeah her brother is mark z daniel who i had no idea and she wrote this album as a counterpart to house of leaves which blows yep. my mind and it's like perfect it's so good
1: yep it is essentially a like concept album soundtrack for that book
0: yeah oh man like and it's, it's a creepy album Like the opening intro is like This weird haunted like Answering machine message And there's like all these parts During it that during the uh, Whole album that are kind of creepy and then Some of the songs if you pay attention to the lyrics Are kind of like there's always just this weird Undertone but it is just My god that album is great And she's only done two albums yep. And the Haunted was made in 2000 And she hasn't recorded any albums Since 2000 but I think she's still acting right
1: um she might be but i i think i remember reading a while back that she's part of other groups and that was just some stuff that she did like as solo projects but she's involved in other bands to my recollection it's been a minute since i've like looked her up some that could be completely wrong on that
0: when i was looking up stuff about haunted the album i found out that she is also a supporter of the david lynch foundation which is a charity that teaches transcendental meditation to children and underprivileged school districts oh yeah of course
1: of course it does yep that's i love lynch but like yeah sure that's what we need in these like underprivileged school districts is um transcendental meditation that that'll help things get better sure
0: and then yeah also too uh and again by the time y'all hear this this might be kind of in the graveyard of internet memes by then it kind of already has i guess overstayed its welcome a little bit but I keep looking up memes of Gritty, the Philadelphia Flyers <laughs> mascot, and that fucking uh, monster thing, and I, I love everything I see of that thing.
1: Yep, yeah, that's like the best new Muppet
0: that's not a Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, I was looking at the official Gritty fan club, which it's not the official Gritty fan club. It was just some, (laughs) some fucker on Facebook just made it. And like the top picture is like Gritty doing the Kim Kardashian thing, like where she was spraying the wine and like holding the wine glass on her butt. Yeah. And like it was going over her head. Well, they did that, except he's holding a Gatorade bottle. Yes. And he's a Gatorade <laughs> over his head. <laughs> and, like, one eye is looking down and the other eye is looking up. And it just looks so goofy. And, like, yeah, that's the thing. Every picture I see of him, like, is either goofy and funny to look at or generally terrifying. Like, he was, like, a horror monster from, like, the 80s. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I am all about Gritty. Oh,
1: that's great. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and get started talking about the movie, but first, so I guess not get started talking about the movie, let's go back and discuss again some irrational fears. Let me start. I have a fear of spiders. I don't think that's an irrational fear necessarily, but lots of people do think that's an irrational fear. This is one of those things where my wife is going to be the like hero who steps in to save my crying giant man ass because we had a little spider on the kitchen floor last night and I, mm, she said it was little. I don't think it was little. If it's like bigger than those little bitty black jumping spiders that like just kind of pop around. They're just like, what up? It's too big. So this thing was like maybe the size of a nickel and it was brown and it was hairy and I don't like it. And it's in my house. And that was at the point where I was just kind of like, cool, well, we got to move now. Um, I don't like this. And she was just like, fuck you. And, you know, grabbed the paper towel and picked it up and squished it. So... I don't like spiders. Spiders are just hairy demon hands. That's I all they are. I do not
0: know this about you. Like, you're, you're exactly the same way I am about hornets and wasps, but with spiders. Totally.
1: Totally. Like, I can handle all manner of other bugs and snakes and rats and, like, all those kind of critters. You know, I grew up doing landscape work. That stuff doesn't bother me. Spiders fuck spiders like to no end fuck spiders they are hairy demon hands that exist only to like create dread and fear and murder other bugs i don't care that like okay well they murder like bad bugs like mosquitoes okay whatever they are awful creatures and i live in constant fear of spiders i hate spiders i tried years ago to like get over that fear when our friend jeff had that tarantula and i tried handling it a couple times and just couldn't i, I could not
0: it's that's like the McElroy, uh, like on the McElroy brothers show when they did the spider episode oh totally and totally. <laughs> I forget which one of them was, like, deathly afraid. Travis's, Travis, yeah. Travis's
1: reaction was exactly the same as mine. I'm just like, nope, get them the fuck out of here. I don't want to be anywhere near them. It's going to jump on me, and it's going to murder me, and it's going to take my soul to hell. Like, I, nope, don't want to be around them.
0: You see, and the the funny thing about spiders, so spiders don't bother me at all I mean obviously if I see one if it's big or something I actually try and push them outside but if it's like trying to crawl up my hand at one point yeah I'm gonna smash it and kill it spiders don't bother me too much but the thing that sucks about that fear for you is that spiders are way more common in houses like just house spiders in general than like most other bugs yep even though spiders are because technically they
1: love to stay in the fucking dark shadows shadows Underneath, like hiding where they can always just be like, yo, motherfucker, I got you. Like, spiders are the worst. Any other bug is just like content to fly around and just like be in your business and let you know that they're there. So many other bugs, too, like literally buzz and they're just like, hey, what's up? I'm here. I'm in your way. Spiders are just like, nah, man, I'm just going to hang out and wait and just fuck you up if you like come near me on accident. And I don't like that. I don't like knowing that, like, all these spiders are in my house, and they're just like, "Yo, I got you if you come near me." Like I don't like that.
0: Yeah, and again, we we do realize spiders are arachnids, but we're just saying bugs to like encompass all manner of. I don't give a fuck. Insect like pets. I don't give a fuck. They're
1: demons. That they are. They are fucking hairy <laughs> demon hands. and That's so, all that matters. If we were in the Marvel universe, you would be a Spider Man villain. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I would be a Spider Man villain because there's nothing about Spider Man that's really spidery, right? Like that's kind of the joke. Oh, you, didn't, you haven't read the 90s. Well, then, in my yeah, opinion. I know at one point he, like, literally turns into, like, a big giant dumb spider. But what the fuck ever. Like, Captain America turned into a werewolf for a while. Um, Which is badass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, like, Spider-Man's not, like, the Spider-Man on Venture Brothers, where he's, like, actually hairy with a bunch of eyes and, like, shoots Webb out of his asshole. (laughs) Like, there's nothing about Spider-Man that's inherently spidery nowadays, so whatever, like, he would be fine. I don't know, like, I, mm mm-mm can't do them and okay so let's let's go there have we discussed your fear of hornets on the show before yes we have okay so then yeah, let's...
0: it's basically the same exact fear but replace spiders with hornets and that, yeah that's that's me i think I've, I've talked a bit about that i think i brought up like fear of flying so another fear that i don't think i have brought up on this show yet that's irrational for me and stop me if i have brought this up is like deep 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 sea where like sunlight doesn't touch. Like I'm talking like deep sea, like where the anglerfish are, and anglerfish are supposedly like the more docile creatures we know yeah. that live down there, and they look like fucking monsters. There's a lot of stuff we do still don't know about that far down in the ocean like what lives down there possibly again it's it's my fear of the great unknown and lack of control because if you are that far down there and i mean you have no control yeah of your surroundings
1: well it's it's literally as alien and like foreign to us as human beings as like outer space it's it's like the same thing it's just you know the opposite direction essentially
0: Yeah, and everything about it is nightmare fuel because, like, the pressure alone, you couldn't get down there without dying, first off. And second off, again, if the anglerfish are the docile creatures down there, what do the predators look like? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, seriously. Like, and the the, the species that we have found all look alien, like you were saying. They look like species that shouldn't belong on our planet. And I hate when, like, bigger zoos have that part of the zoo where where they have those special tanks where they keep it purposely dark but like a un- light up enough for people to look inside and see what's in there but dark for the the species they have in there and pressurized they usually have like black lights or something like that yeah, yeah. and there's like oil drum like they they decorate it with like oil drums and shit like that and i hate that i always hate that part of the aquarium i love the <laughs> aquarium in general like i love going to the aquarium penguins the tropical parts of the aquarium but deep sea shit no i just makes me uncomfortable thinking about it like kind of makes me on edge i just that that's another irrational fear of mine
1: cool that said let's get to a movie that is completely about weird irrational fears we are covering the 2002 movie the mothman prophecies what are you doing here? Somehow between one and two thirty, I traveled four hundred miles. I've got no memory.
0: The past few months, people have been coming up to me and reporting strange things.
1: Weird lights, strange phone calls. Hello, hello, John car. Who is this?
0: What do you do when someone comes into your office and tells you they saw this in their backyard?
1: My wife saw something. Drew pictures just like this. Who showed you this? You know what that is? One day I started hearing voices, the voices became messages. He was right here. All I could see were these two red eyes. I met him. You
0: met him. He said, do not be afraid. 99 will die.
1: 99 will die. All 99 are believed dead. You're reading my mind, are you? What's in my hand?
0: Chapstick. Yes. So, I chose The Mothman Prophecies not because it's necessarily a great movie or anything like that, but it's one of those movies that came out at a time like where I was really in between Middle school and high school. And it was like one of those movies that, like, friends of yours would be like, Oh, it's such a creepy movie. Oh, my parents helped me watch their Mothman prophecies. Have you seen it? I'd always kind of just heard that it was either super creepy and scary or just a bad movie in general. And I really had no interest as a kid seeing it. And at that time, I was going through a phase where I did like purposely go to horror movies and, and watch horror movies. Like, I think this was right around the same time I. Watch The Exorcist for the first time. I remember seeing The Ring for the first time during this time. A couple years later when The Grudge came out I remember going to the theater to watch Grudge which now if you made me try and go watch The Grudge in theaters I would tell you to go fuck yourself. (laughs) Like I was actually braver as like a middle schooler teenager about horror movies than I am now and it was just one of those movies that kind of slipped through the cracks but it was always kind of in the back of my mind of like I always wondered like what was this movie actually like and The Mothman to me I don't believe in the mothman at all but it is one of those like cryptid or ufo supernatural phenomena that i i love reading about and hearing about so i just decided that like hey since we're doing this podcast we're mixing up different eras we hadn't really touched too too much of like the early 2000s yet i decided why not watch the mothman prophecies And I feel like this movie, I don't know, I'll I'll let you speak on this more, Mansfield, of, like, what you feel, but I feel like this movie comes at that weird time of horror movies where it's transitioning from, like, the 90s being sort of, like, a shit show for horror movies and, like, right before, like, the whole The Ring, The Grudge, Saw remake phenomenon of, like, gritty dirt people horror movies, like Lionsgate (laughs) movies, I feel like the Mothman prophecy is this weird, like, island in between where it's, like, sort of trying to be uh, psychological and supernatural but then also sort of being almost like those Lionsgate style like early 2000s, mid 2000s horror movies. It's a weird movie and we'll get into it more as
1: to why. So, you're right, like, this is in that weird transitional time where there wasn't, like, a lot of horror happening in the, like, late, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, this was definitely a transitional period. I will go to bat for 90s horror any day of the week. Anybody who's like, oh, yeah, there were no good horror movies in the 90s can fuck off because we had movies like Scream And we had Candyman, which is, in my opinion, Candyman is, like, the best horror movie of the 90s period. Uh, But we also had Silence of the Lambs and Blair Witch and The Sixth Sense, um, Jacob's Ladder, The Faculty. There's so much good stuff. Event Horizon, The Craft. Like, there's a lot of good horror from the 90s. Okay, like, I'm just, I'm scanning through, like, a basic list here. All right, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, In the Mouth of Madness... Tremors, Army of Darkness, Dead Alive, People Under the Stairs, Sleepy Hollow, Stir of Echoes, Audition, Interview with a Vampire, Exorcist 3, The Frighteners from Death Till Dawn, Nightbreed, Cemetery Man, Bram Stoker's Dracula, like, ra- Ravenous, Mimic, like, there's a lot of good stuff that comes yeah. out in the 90s.
0: Why, so, like, obviously you have a much deeper library of horror movie knowledge than I do, but I do know, like, I know enough that, like a scratch the surface i always hear people talk shit about 90s horror but you're right like there's plenty of great horror in the 90s is it just that it was a little more few and far between than like the 80s and 70s and now like why does the 90s catch shit
1: all right hot take i honestly chalk it up to gen x toxic nostalgia like if i'm if i'm gonna like really throw a hot take out there let me just like lob this molotov cocktail (laughs) so many people are like oh yeah the 80s is the pinnacle of horror well before that everybody was like well the 70s is the pinnacle of horror and before that it was like well the like universal monsters is the pinnacle of horror it's just a generational thing, I think. There's a lot of good stuff in the 90s. There weren't necessarily, like, the franchise staples, like, happening in a super heavy way. You know, like, the Friday the 13th movies and the Nightmare um, on Elm Street movies had all kind of, like, burned out by that point. And, you know, you started to have a lot of... There were a lot of, like, glossy, pretty teenager college kid cw kind of horror movies at the time there were a lot of those like dimension horror movies that were just a bunch of pretty people like floating on a poster and those movies are the ones that generally are not well thought of and those are the ones that a lot of people kind of immediately gravitate to when they think about 90s horror because that was the trend just like in the 80s the general trend was overwhelmingly slasher movies. I I think that's a lot of it. I think a lot of it is just generational nostalgia blindness because so many people like look at what they grew up with and they assume like, well, that's the best stuff when, you know, it's not, it's just more stuff. Every generation is going to deal with that to a degree. You know, I think part of it is just going to be that that generation was the first that was really so soaked in pop culture in every facet of their life. You know, the 80s was when you could go to a VHS store and rent a video. You couldn't do that beforehand. Right. The 80s was when, like, cable TV, like, really became a thing. And beforehand, like, our parents will tell you, like, you put on the TV, there were four channels, and what was on was on. And that's what you watched, right? You know, but the 80s is when you had more choice. There was more coming out in theaters. There was just more range of, like, stuff that you could really, like, soak your life with that you're just inundated 24-7. And so people grew up in that just like we've grown up in that. But I think at the end of the day, the difference is we are not as precious to that as a lot of the Gen X crowd can be, especially with 80s stuff. I mean, look at like Ready Player One that just came out. That entire fucking book is just about 80s pop culture masturbation. There's nothing wrong with anything that that book is talking about. Like, I love so much of that same stuff. I'm just not like as precious about it, necessarily. problem, the biggest problem with Ready Player One is not that it's about 80s pop culture nostalgia. It's that it's being super gatekeepy about it. And that's the problem I have with it.
0: Like, I I think a better example, uh, and it's actually a movie we've done on this podcast that honors the past, but does it subtly and not as in your face, like literally like having the Iron Giant fight. And I know the Iron Giant wasn't the 80s. That was the 90s. But, you know, like the Iron Giant fight, like Godzilla or some shit. I think a better movie of honoring like past slasher and past 80s horror was It Follows. Because, I mean, just the soundtrack alone is straight out of like an 80s horror movie, but its original. And up to date enough to feel fresh. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, but kind of my little bit of a hot take, which it's not really as hot of a take as your Molotov cocktail, is that actually, from what I can see, the early 2000s. To the mid-2000s seem like the worst time for horror movies to me. I've seen enough good stuff in the night from the 90s and in the 90s. Of course, the 80s and 70s are fantastic, and then modern horror, like 2010 on, seems to be just doing fantastic. And don't get me wrong, there are good movies in there. Like I do think the American remake of The Ring is a good movie. I might catch some shit for this, but I do think the first Saw movie is a decent movie yeah the rest totally. of the Saw movies not so much but and I know the Mothman Prophecies falls directly in that that era that is my least favorite when it comes to horror movies but again I just did not like that whole and I always talk shit about Lionsgate but that whole like Lionsgate feel of a lot of these horror movies in in the 2000 to 2010 decade
1: yeah and I mean what I'm about to say is not new this has been talked to death but this movie comes Mothman Prophecies comes in that in-between time where we're transitioning from the 90s, which, you know, maybe somebody has a better thought about this than I do, but to me, you know, the 80s was so much about slasher movies. The 90s, there's not really, like, an overarching thing. Theme necessarily. And so that's where, like, I can see also people are just like, nothing good in the 90s because there's not just like a big greater theme, right?
0: A lot of the horror movies of the 90s, from my standpoint, are focused on just being
1: alternative in general. Like, the whole aesthetic
0: of a lot of those movies are alternative.
1: They're very different and they're all trying to do something new, whether it's successful or not. That's one thing that I will say about 90s horror movies specifically. The 80s being so drenched in, like, slasher stuff, you end up getting so much stuff that's very same you know what I mean but in the 90s when everybody was trying to like figure out something new to do you had such a strange mix of subgenres and stories that were trying to be told and like people trying new ways of telling them you know all the way up to the point where you have something like Blair Witch in 99 which was completely experimental in the way that they were making it you know just because people were trying new things and so there's no like overall theme and feel of the 90s but there's more diversity of storytelling i think now what you and i are both kind of reacting to in the mid 2000s in a negative way again like this is nothing new i'm not like revealing anything that hasn't been talked to death but torture porn torture porn and a lot of like foreign remakes you know, obviously, like, the war started in the early 2000s. We had a lot of filmmakers reacting to that. So you had just a lot more extreme movies come out. So you had all the Saw sequels, and you had the hostile movies. You had a lot of foreign horror that was typically more extreme either come to the states or be remade over here as well and by and large like a lot of that stuff is stuff that i don't necessarily like there is definitely like a huge chunk of people that love those movies but that's not something that i necessarily have any kind of affection for or really react to well because none of it is what gets under my skin
0: so 2002 to like 2008 seems like an interesting time for horror because again for my point of view you had those extreme movies like you were saying like saw hostile all that and then any of the supernatural type horror movies that are a little more psychological and and supernatural were japanese horror remakes that were brought to the united states because the ring was so successful so you had then you had the grudge then you had a sequel to the ring which was not very good you had like dark waters which i i, I can't remember the name of it. it was dark waters right with yeah. uh Demi Moore. It was Jen- Jennifer Connolly. Jennifer Connolly. Yeah. Um, and Dark Waters was also originally, I-, I believe it was based off of a an Asian horror movie, and possibly Japanese as well. So it seemed like your choices were either scary ghost girls that have long black hair or watching teenagers get tortured to death like and and that was kind of your horror during that time period
1: you know again there was a lot of good stuff in the 2000s but if we're gonna look at like an overall theme that seems to kind of be it and then i agree with you like you know in the teens the last few years have been crazy good for horror top to bottom like we've gotten a lot of really good studio movies but we've also got a ton of good independent horror movies
0: To me, there's not really an overall theme, at least maybe there will be the next decade when we're looking back on this one. Yeah.
1: But to me, this
0: is a lot like the 90s where different horror movies are doing different things they are going all across the horror genre, except now it's kind of being more well respected than it was back in the 90s to me again i think we're in another alternative experimental era of horror right now yeah and i think the mothman prophecies in some ways is ahead of its time but then also i think it's a product of its time if that makes any sense
1: One, one more thing i want to talk about like while we're discussing like the climate and the time in which this movie was made what blows my mind about this movie it's not the cast. Like, the cast is really solid for the most part. Um, You've got, you know, Richard Gere, who was still, like, a really big name at the time, Laura Linney, Will Patton, Deborah Messing. It's a really solid cast. <laughs> One trend during this time was definitely, like, let's get music video directors to make movies, because that's definitely Mark Pellington's background, and you had people like Marcus Nispel doing the Texas Chainsaw remake, and he totally came from music videos but what blows my mind is this how much money do you think this movie was made for Um, now now back up back up let's let's preface this by saying the average horror movie now gets made for probably like three to six million dollars
0: oh yeah this movie definitely cost way more than that yeah
1: so something like it just to you know lay this down it which was like the big tentpole studio horror movie from last year. That movie, in today's money cost 35 million dollars. Wow. Okay. That's a good bit of money. That's like a drop in the bucket compared to like other things like the average Marvel movie, the average Star Wars movie is somewhere in the like 2-250 range and then on like giant out of control bloated productions like, you know, the Justice League fucking movies are like in the 3-350 range, right? So horror movies are generally always made for considerably less. This movie in 2000 and let's just say like 2000 2001 like when it was actually filmed in that money was 32 million fucking dollars
0: fuck what because i was about to guess like 25 million
1: no 32 million dollars that's crazy i did not know that so the point that i'm getting at is that's crazy that's bananas you don't have just like middling movies like that get made today. You know, horror movies today are either you're working on a shoestring and you're having to like do GoFundMe and you maybe get like a smaller distributor behind it but you're looking at like maybe a $5 million budget total or you have something like it which is in that same like 20 to 30 million dollar stretch this is like an average go see it in the middle of the afternoon on a weekday kind of horror movie that was not a huge tentpole event and it cost 32 million fucking dollars like that doesn't that doesn't happen nowadays
0: i was gonna say like because this is kind of going into how i felt about the movie going into the movie i would say that honestly as far as the movie itself this is probably my least favorite movie we've covered so far and it's probably also the least scary movie we've covered so far from my standpoint and going into it it does feel like a movie that probably would have been better served as like maybe an hbo miniseries or a tv movie but again when you actually watch it the way it's shot the actors that are involved it's way too expensive for that it's
1: too glossy very glossy i think that's a lot of the problem is it's too flashy and glossy
0: again that was a lot of like the supernatural horror movies to me of that that era was very glossy
1: yeah almost overproduced well when you think about like all the stuff Like I mentioned, the movies that were all done by these, like, either let's pull them from directing music videos or we're going to pull somebody who, like, completely does other stuff entirely to direct this movie. That seems to be a lot of what you end up getting is a lot of style over substance. I come down on the side of really hating the Texas Chainsaw remake, for instance, because it feels like you're watching an MTV video the entire time. I mean that's the director that they hired so that's what they got and I feel the same way about this movie because Mark Pellington was also a music video director you know and he's got a lot of that same kind of gloss I really don't like any of the like flashy transitions in this movie and oh, all the we'll, time that it like we'll,
0: we'll touch on that yeah, all the times that it, like,
1: whooshes into, like, a weird Mothman pattern and, yes. you know, all that kind of yeah. stuff. Like, I don't like any of that. The soundtrack sounds like it also could have been on, like, a Matrix movie, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, it just has that kind of weird feel. I think all the acting in it's pretty solid, and I think the cast is pretty good, but I do think Richard Gere is grossly miscast like I think if you had gotten a better lead this movie would have made much more of an impact but Richard Gere is just so out of his element in this movie in my opinion
0: yeah uh, obviously he's a great actor i mean he's an amazing actor but
1: for certain things yeah
0: yeah for this movie not yeah. so much i would agree with you 100 percent
1: on that richard Gere's a hunky guy he's charming he's great in like all the rom-com stuff that he does he's not a good fit for this movie
0: no i would agree with you yeah
1: that's that's all i really have to say about it for now at least
0: yeah, same. So we'll actually start digging into it a little bit once again. For people who do want to go watch it, I will say that if you are a horror movie fan, like if you just enjoy horror cinema and watch a lot of it, it's worth a watch. I mean, it does things and has things in it that are worth notating. If you're kind of a more casual movie fan, especially casual horror, you could do with just skipping this one, Um, if I'm
1: being completely honest. Or it's good to like put on the background. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to do what I'm going to do later today and just like sit and fold clothes and stuff, I mean, sure, throw it on personally
0: I am glad I sat finally sat down and watched this movie because again like ever since middle school this movie has been in the back of my mind on again and off again and just always wondering kind of what it was about and so I'm glad that I finally watched it and got to experience it and it what I will say it's definitely a movie I was not expecting like the way it was shot the whole overall feel of the movie the, the plot not at all what I was expecting I was expecting more of a monster movie and it's definitely not a monster movie um, it's more of like a supernatural like psychological horror mystery film, if anything. Just to kind of give you a brief synopsis before we get into spoilers for anyone who's interested. It follows a reporter for the Washington Post who um, gets caught up researching the legend of the Mothman after he gets detoured to Point Pleasant, uh, West Virginia. And during his detour, he has no memory. When he gets to Point Pleasant, there have been a bunch of sightings of unexplained phenomenon and the Mothman-like creature. And he remembers his wife before she died. There were, there were ties to a Mothman like creature when she was dying of brain cancer like two years previous so he kind of gets obsessed with this mystery and kind of gets wrapped up into it and of course Richard Gere plays a reporter which his name is John Clean in the movie which is funny because the this movie is actually based off of a, a non-fiction I might add book by John Keel and John Keel was an American journalist and UFOologist who wrote the Mothman Prophecies book, and I think it came out in, like, the 70s. Yeah, it was
1: 1975, and to your point, an even more direct line, Alan Bates, who plays Alexander Leak in this movie, who's the, like, professor guy who knows all the backstory, his name is actually a direct reverse of yes. Keel, yep. <laughs> who wrote the book, so yeah, they were being cheeky about that.
0: I didn't catch that until, like, after I watched a movie and I wanted to, like, look up, who the actor was and it was Alan Bates because it's either Alan Bates or Laura Linney are my two favorite performances in this movie. So I kind of wanted to look up more about Alan Bates and yeah, when I actually read his name and then saw who wrote the Mob Man Prophecies it was like, oh, Nilbog, Goblin backwards, got it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, again, it's not that scary of a movie. There are maybe a couple jump scares. It, it feels a little unsettling throughout the entire movie. If you are scared easily by like extraterrestrial and and Alien stuff, this movie might get more under your skin. Alien stuff doesn't really bother me too much when I see it on screen, so it didn't really get me too bad. It's a very low-key horror movie in terms of actual horror in it. It's interesting enough, I kept my interest throughout the... Uh, whole thing I don't think it's a movie that I'll think about much after watching it like movies that I think about a lot are like Texas Chainsaw Massacre it follows what we just watched with the autopsy of Jane Doe even those movies are sticking with me I don't think this one will so with that in mind kind of form your own opinion on what you think if it sounds like it's something worth checking out and if it is great. If it's not, that's cool too. You can kind of skip over this one if you want. Or like Mansfield was saying, have it on in the background. So we will now move into actually going through the movie and discussing scenes and stuff we liked, stuff we didn't like, and actual horror. So again, this movie was shot in 2002, directed by Mark Pellington. If you still haven't seen it and you still don't want the spoilers for it, then shut off the podcast right now. Go watch it, then come back. This movie starts off two years earlier, and it follows, like I said, Washington Post columnist John Clean, who is played by Richard Gere. I think it's actually John Klein. 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 Yeah. 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 Klein. (laughs) I can't pronounce things well. (laughs) (laughs) and so it shows like him and his wife mary and you can tell right off the bat that like they're in love and they just saved up enough to like get a new home so they're going like looking around for houses and i made a notation as what is it with horror movies and starting off looking at a new house or a new place to live and being like yeah this place is great it's gonna be such a good time living here right off the bat they go to this house the scene kind of made me crack up They're so in love and it's cute. Then they start like making out with each other. Like when they're examining closet space while the realtor is still technically showing them the the property, it's starting to imply that they're about to have sex in this empty closet space with the realtor, like in the other room, showing them the house. And of course the realtor like walks in on them as they're like on the ground making out. And so I thought that uh, that part was a little goofy, but
1: let's, let's be real. That would not be the first time a realtor has walked in on something like that.
0: Oh yeah absolutely i remember um uh, and i made a note of it um when i was watching this it kind of reminds me of that pat and oswald joke where they were going to like him and his wife were going <laughs> we to accidentally kind of house interrupted an orgy we, yeah inter- yeah we interrupted an orgy and that's kind of like sort of the same line yep so yeah they agreed to the house and mind you we'll get more into the scene transitions but there's moth imagery all over the place this movie is not trying to be subtle about it at all and like when they're in the closet what actually interrupts them is that there's a moth buzzing around the light of the closet it kind of of, like, scares him at first, and then the realtor walks in when he hears like them in the closet. Right off the bat, you're getting moth imagery. So, they settle in this house, they start driving, I guess, back to where they're staying at the moment. And on the way, his wife is driving the car and they're talking and like having conversation just about, again, how I'm in love the way they are with each other and the future and how this is going to be great. Right around the seven minute, 40 second mark, this is like maybe the worst jump scare of the movie, and it's Kind of a shitty jump scare is like a moth like being flies at the car and like his wife screams and like she crashes the car.
1: Let's be straight up. I wouldn't call it a moth like being. It's just a giant flash of like CGI light. For a movie that's about the Mothman, not a single damn time in this movie do you see anything that could actually resemble a Mothman. It's just flashes of light and shadows and CGI nonsense. There is no creature. There's no, like, physical creature. There's no man in a suit. There's, like, never anything like that that shows up in the movie. So the most you see are these esoteric flashes of light that you're supposed to kind of interpret as being the Mothman that people are seeing. So it's just a really bad, like, CGI burst of light.
0: And it's it's done so quick because I did actually look up screen grabs where they did stop the movie at the right moment to see what exactly it is. It looks in between Mean like a giant bat in a demonic face, but it's so quick that when you're actually watching it in, at the real speed, like Mansuel was saying, it's like a flash of light.
1: Yeah, it's it's subliminal, like it's just a quick flash and that's, that's all there is to it.
0: But it's not even a good job of being subliminal because it's too fast to even be subliminal, like in yeah. my mind, like again. Well, it's
1: subliminal is quick, but subliminal is like 100% clear in like what it is. So yeah. like a good example of that, in The Exorcist, you see the like Captain Howdy Pazuzu face. But it's quick. Like, it's literally just, like, one frame that's inserted throughout the movie that flashes. But there's no denying, like, what it is. You know what I mean? Like, you know for sure that that's what it is. It's it's like the dick flash through, like, Bambi and Fight Club, right? Like, there's no denying what the thing is. In this movie, the, like, subliminal flashes that are supposed to be, like, really quick, the problem is you don't know what the fuck you just saw. It's just nonsense. So that's why it's, like, a bad thing attempt at being like a subliminal image because you just have no idea like what you actually saw
0: yeah i i understand the reason why they did it that way and i see what they're going for bad attempt but it's a bad attempt yeah it just yeah and it's so it stands out so bad because like the cgi i mean even for 2002 it's dated
1: yeah it's super dated
0: it stands out because uh, the rest of this movie like you were saying is very glossy (laughs) I did notice that going back to like the whole me talking shit about who distributes like these early 2000 horror movie films this is distributed by Screen Gems I see Screen Gems logo at the start of a lot of those shitty 2000 horror movies quite often so they're kind of at fault like Lionsgate is in my mind but they get involved into this, this car accident they crash into a tree his wife hits her head against the side window like hard enough to where she has kind of like a head injury gash and they he calls 911 so they're in the hospital and she's getting imaging done to see if there's any lasting you know brain damage or or head injury of any kind and they actually discover that she has a brain tumor and it's already at a state where it's almost inoperable then you kind of have like quick cuts between where it kind of jumps forward a, a little bit where she's in the hospital and like they've attempted surgery but they only got some of the tumor and it, now it's just a matter of time. It's like her apologizing to him for being sick. I wrote down what if the Mothman is a tumor? That was like my my early my early like this is the twist of the movie, which maybe it was true or not because this movie is very open ended with that. But yeah, and then it kind of flash forwards. It's him like like he gets a call, gets a doctor apologizing, and it shows him rushing to the hospital. It's shown that like the hospital bed is now empty. uh Something happened, and she did pass away. This is one. Of one of the more creepier elements of the movie he discovers that his wife had been drawing things and writing stuff and he like looks through
1: her stuff and he sees like one of the nurses specifically mentions oh yeah she must have known and he's like known what like what are you talking about it's like well she must have known that she was about to go because she was drawing all these pictures of angels yes and he was just like what the fuck
0: And that's such a creepy line, like, as he's looking through these pictures, because these pictures don't look like angels, they look like demons. It progressively starts off as, like, moths, and then, like, as you go through the pictures and it shows, like, the closer she was to death, her pictures become darker and more sinister. He looks down at the drawings after the nurse tells him that, and then when he looks back up in the doorway, the nurse isn't there
1: anymore. I think she was just trying to draw the poster for Pink Floyd's The Wall. (laughs) Yes,
0: yeah. And I did write down, because this is a horror trope that I actually do appreciate, one that is effective for me, is the creepy drawings horror trope, whether it's kids doing it or whoever, whether it's an actual supernatural being or more psychological, like when people start drawing like demonic drawings like that in horror movies that, that, for whatever reason, creeps me out. I did appreciate this scene in the movie.
1: For me, that's kind of half and half. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you look at it and you're like, there's no fucking way that this person did this like this is some like set dresser or production designer who drew this shit out like this character did not do this same thing with like kid drawings you're like this is some adult who's like drawing R's backwards to show that it's a kid's handwriting kids are not that dumb kids are dumb kids are not that dumb And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So just, it kind of depends on the situation. I think, for me, like, an example of that working is uh, Sinister. Sinister is, like, a very good example of kid drawings being, like, really genuinely fucked up and creepy and believable. It depends. Like, this movie, I think, it is generally effective. Yeah. For me, that's kind of, like, a half-and-half thing as far as, like, what creeps me out. And it would be more effective in this movie if this movie was... Better. (laughs) I hate to say it.
0: (laughs) And uh, like, if this movie was genuinely either a great movie or scarier or both then the scene would be more effective but at the time like at this moment in the movie I was like okay cool I I do enjoy this but at this point and I even made a notation of this at this point I'm already kind of being driven up a wall with the scene transitions yeah because like Mansfield said earlier and he's dead on the scene transitions all make this point to be like super creepy and imagery of a moth every single time one of them is like oh they're on the road and then transition and like it backs the camera backs up and it's like these two red lights that are on like a parking or on a um construction cone and they're supposed to look like red moth eyes.
1: The music always like ramps up, you know, in between the transitions. It's all it's the same kind of shit that like you see in music videos, because again, this is a music video director making this movie. So like everything from a camera standpoint has to have a level of like busyness that you don't normally have with any other typical movie director.
0: Again, almost literally every single scene transition in this movie is like either moth imagery or creepy it feels like you're being abducted ooh we're tra- we're abducting you to the next scene the first couple times is like okay cool that's that's enough of that let's just we can have that later on in the movie when you actually start getting scary but when I started doing it in every scene transition I was like this is not effective at all this is yeah. way
1: too much the one thing that does work if we're talking about like the aesthetic and this is generally true about anything but like the handheld camera work in this does do a good job of creating a sense of unease and anxiousness because of how the camera is kind of positioned. It's always at like kind of odd, awkward angles quite often, and it moves in a way that's kind of awkward. So I think that stuff works, but I think that's just competent use of handheld camera as an aesthetic choice and not necessarily like the thing that makes this movie but you know I th- as far as like creating a sense of dread I think that works better than like all the weird oral noise and scene transitions and camera bullshit
0: yeah cause like even in that in this hospital scene where he discovers his wife's drawings like the camera is like slowly creeping up on him from like the doorway of the, ho- of the hospital room so it's like somebody's like slowly walking towards him. and there are a lot of times where it's like the camera is behind somebody and it's slowly creeping up on them as if like there's this presence coming up on them and like you were saying that is way more effective in this movie to make you feel uneasy than the actual scene transitions so I, I do agree with you there that I do like the, the camera shots also too we had mentioned a little bit about the soundtrack of this movie the soundtrack of this movie ranges from me actually enjoying it and being effective in parts to like what the fuck choices why is this in this part of this movie the soundtrack is straight up like trip hop early 2000s trip
1: hop they're trying to be like uh dj shadows introducing 2.0 like i said it could it could be from like a matrix sequel it just has that kind of like weird feel to it
0: again sometimes it works and a lot of times it doesn't from here on the movie fast forwards to two years after this john is supposed to travel to is he in washington dc at this point or is he supposed to travel to washington dc
1: He's in the D.C. area, and I think he was heading to New York, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah,
0: to, like, meet with a governor to help, like, he's still working with the Washington Post, so I think he's, like, supposed to do an interview or something with this governor that's running for a re-election. And, and he leaves during the night, and he's driving. The movie sort of transitions to the next scene to where he's, like, on this backwoods road, and all of a sudden his car breaks down for no apparent reason. And so he, like, gets out, he examines the car, he can't figure out what's going on, so he walks to a nearby house to get help. And he knocks on the door. The owner of the house is this guy named Gordon. Um, and Gordon reacts violently to John right away and claims that this is the third night in a row John has done this, that he's come in like two in the morning, knocked on the door asking for help, saying that his car is broken down. And Gordon Smallwood is played by Will Patton.
1: Which I love Will Patton. Yeah. I, I think I, Will Patton is probably the best performance in this movie. Yeah, I could I could agree with you there. He's one of those that guy actors who's been I, I, so I, 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 much shit over the years.
0: I wrote down the same exact thing. I was like, he is that guy actor from all these movies.
1: Yeah, he. I mean, the postman, remember the Titans, Armageddon, um, he's actually about to be in the uh, new Halloween movie, so I mean, he's been in so much shit over the years
0: so gordon like <laughs> any responsible person decides that he's gonna bring john inside at gunpoint puts him in the shower and and is pointing his shotgun at him the entire time telling him to stay in the shower his wife goes and calls the police a local police officer named connie mills who is played by laura Linny in this movie shows up to kind of defuse the situation and gordon explains to her about like this being the third time john is knocked and john is confused about all this he has no recollection of of any of this and so she defuses the situation so I really did like Laura Linney's performance as Connie in this movie yeah she's good however one of the things I, I did notice was I'm not sure what accent she was trying to keep through this entire movie because I, like this first scene she has like a pretty solid kind of almost a little bit country accent and then like by the end of the movie I can't really hear it anymore did that yeah did the same thing happen with you
1: Uh, that's that's kind of true of everybody in the cast besides Richard Gere and Alan Bates like everybody that's supposed to be from this West Virginia town the accents are kind of all over the place but that is what it is Laura Linney's generally always good she's picked a wide range of stuff to work in over the years i really love her in squid and the whale and um even just bullshit like congo she's fun yeah and she's on ozark right now which i have not seen that show but i think that show specifically is like her and jason bateman moving to a small like missouri town so it's kind of in that same ballpark of middle america but still kind of considered the south I don't know. Like, I don't know what accent she's really trying to pull, but that's that's kind of true of anybody in this movie.
0: Yeah. I think the first time I came across her really was uh, when I watched The Truman Show, and I really enjoyed her yeah. in The Truman Show.
1: Yeah, she's great in that. Also, weirdly enough, she's in Primal Fear, that also stars Richard Gere. Oh, I didn't know so that. They, they have worked together before this.
0: So, she diffuses a situation. She kind of tells, like, Gordon, I'll take care of this. Like, go back inside. Calm down. She drives John to a local motel because he has nowhere to stay. It's in the middle of the night. His car's broken down, and like they're talking. And right off the bat, there's hints that like weird shit's happening in this town. Um, like she even mentions it to him at this point. When they pull up to the motel, this is when it's revealed that he's actually in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which is like almost the opposite way of where he was trying to get to.
1: Yeah, but it's it's like. Hundreds of miles off route he does not recall
0: any point of the last several hours and traveling this far away from destination. Which, if any of you follow UFO stuff at all, this is kind of one of those things in abduction scenarios that people say is a symptom of it of lost time and yeah. waking up
1: miles away from where you were. Not just miles away, but like end up like in a completely different state. Yeah. Like hundreds of miles, a few hours away. Like you're just suddenly like in a different place and you just seem to wake up there all of a sudden.
0: And this is kind of like jumping out ahead a little bit but there are a lot of allusions to this being an abduction thing happening like this is actually an alien thing rather than a ghost thing or a demon thing
1: to take a step back we mentioned john keel this movie is kind of an adaptation loosely of his book from 1975 um, which in turn was a kind of bullshitized version of some stuff that had happened in point pleasant west virginia in the 60s The bridge collapse, I guess spoiler alert for the end of the story, that is based on a real incident. In Point Pleasant, West Virginia, there was a bridge collapse, and the year leading up to that bridge collapse was when you had all the people in this town, like, supposedly seeing the Mothman. At the end of the day, investigators kind of are like, well, it was probably just a fucking bird. (laughs) Based on the description, they kind of concluded that it was probably a sandhill crane, which googling a picture of it. Yeah, I can totally see that. Like, think about how a crane, like a big, long-legged bird like that, when it's standing up and it has its head kind of tucked in and it has its wings kind of pulled up like shoulders, that can kind of look like a person, especially in the dark, especially from far away. They have a big, giant red patch around their eyes as well. So if you, like, throw a flashlight over onto that and you just see, like, a big, giant, bright red splotch... And then your flashlight also hits the eyes, and the eyes kind of glow a little bit. Like, I can see where people would maybe, like, see that and freak the fuck out. Also, this is a big bird. A sandhill crane is, like, four to five feet tall if it's, like, standing up. So if it's just standing there in the middle of your front yard at night, that can be kind of freaky. The other side of it, too, their wingspan is, like, seven to eight feet, which birds are fucking loud if you don't know. We have owls around here, and we also have, like, red-tailed hawks. Red-tailed hawks aren't huge, but if you see one in the sky, like, they're pretty big birds when they're flying. Especially the owls around here. If you see an owl, they stand maybe, like, 18 inches tall, but when they spread their wings, they're fucking huge. And if one of those, like, flies over you, it's pretty startling. Because it's very loud, and you do feel like the wind around you whooshing, and it's just a big fucking thing flying like right over your head. We definitely had an owl that lived in our neighborhood growing up, and every once in a while you would see that giant motherfucker like sitting on the stop sign at the end of the street, and it's huge.
0: In the tree in my family's backyard, for like two or three years in a row, we had an owl family living in the tree, and so every night like I would let the dog out or walk the dog. I could hear it hooting at night, um, and you could look up and see it, and it was a big bird. And that concludes Mansfield's Ruining Fun for Everyone Corner. Well,
1: uh, okay, so <laughs> I'm just I'm fucking with you. <laughs> What, what I'm ultimately getting at is, like, that's the backstory, you know, if we're, if we're gonna, like, really discuss the backstory of this actual incident that this movie and this book is based on. So from there, John Keel takes this story, takes all this bullshit of these people in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, kind of taking all these urban legends and all these supposed sightings of this Mothman, which the investigators, again, kind of were just like, y'all just, you motherfuckers, like, saw a bird that was, like, off its migratory path and it freaked you out because it's not a bird you have around here. Here. That being, like, the most baseline explanation. John Keel then takes this idea and links it to the whole, like, bridge collapse and all this, like, you know, oh, this was a prophecy and this thing was, like, some weird foretelling of this incident that was to come. And he also mixes it with all of his weird bullshit stuff about, like, UFO encounters and men in black phenomena and all this other, like, supernatural bullshit. Which, his book is actually called Visitors from Space... Colon, the astonishing true story of the Mothman prophecies. The cover of that book is hilarious, by the way. Oh yeah,
0: I love the cover. It's not at all what I was expecting. It's like a fifties sci-fi cover. Oh yeah.
1: But John Keel like took this initial thing and worked All of this extra UFO supernatural bullshit into it. And then this movie was kind of adapted off of that. So the problem is you have what's essentially a cryptid story. That then gets mushed in with all of this other UFO stuff. And voices on the phone and all this other like bullshit. That's also where again I think this movie is not entirely effective. Because it just mushes so much disparate stuff together together but it's not very cohesive also to the entire like this has been seen all over the world before all these other incidents. Nah, that's that's bullshit. Like that's all made up for this movie cuz it seems to be a phenomenon that's strictly like a West Virginia cryptid kind of thing. It's not like some worldwide, you know, everybody sees us before a giant awful event happens. So, I don't necessarily think that this is some kind of shared hallucination or any kind of cultural thing necessarily but this movie tries to make out that it is and i don't think it does so successfully
0: yeah so uh he gets to this motel and he stays the night so then the next day he like he's obviously like going through town and Point Pleasant I wrote down is Point Pleasant all of a sudden Silent Hill like they're trying to make Point Pleasant out to be like
1: but half the time yeah like you're right they they try to make this town creepy and they try to make this town kind of like backwoods but like half the time because the other half the time it's like a perfectly normal small town so again like it's just a mixed bag of like what the fuck are you going for
0: but yeah like if when you look up images of Point Pleasant it's a well-developed town I mean yeah it only has a couple thousand people living. Living in its greater area, but it's like any other small town you drive through yeah. when you're going on like cross-country trips. I think maybe they're trying to play off of a little bit of that fear of the country. Maybe I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to do with with trying to make Point Pleasant out to be like Silent Hill in some scenes. Maybe like oh, the city folk will think this place is backwards and mysterious because it's so small.
1: And and again, they try to play on that. Like half the townspeople are. Uh, who's this city slicker here trying to to tell us what to do good, but then the other half of the people are just like, oh yeah, um, I brought my kids to school and I saw Mothman, so it's it's just strange, like, how they're trying to go for both things, and it's not its not really working.
0: During these scenes, like, at one point, he's walking with Officer Mills, and it's obvious that they're they are kind of, like, being super friendly with each other, even flirting a little bit, and, like, during that time, I think he makes a, a comment of, like, oh, you grew up on the farm or something? And she was just like, yeah, I grew up on the farm, but we know what planes and everything else, like, technology is. Like, we're not yeah. all, like, we even, back... We even had shoes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She even calls him out on his shit, which is almost like this weird moment in the movie where it's almost self-aware of what it's doing to the people of Point Pleasant. Whatever. I'm jumping a little bit ahead because, like, when he's downtown during the next day, he first like checks with the mechanic with his car, and the mechanic's like, "We literally cannot find anything wrong with your car whatsoever." Yeah. Um. We have no idea why it died. He's like, "Oh, okay. Well, how much are you?" And he's like, "Oh, you owe me nothing because I didn't do anything." And this kind of like, like they play this off as like this weird, strange thing. It's like, no the mechanic's just being a good dude. Yeah, they try to like
1: make a thing of it and
0: Yeah, again, this is one of those weird moments of just like everyone in this town is acting weird. It's like, no, the mechanic's just trying to do you a solid, bro. Yeah. Like you're the one being weird about it and then across the street like he sees um Gordon from the night before. He walks up to Gordon and is like tr- like basically apologizing being like, "Look, you know, I am I'm, I'm sorry I caused you and your wife any grief. I really truly do not remember knocking on your door the other two nights. I don't know if that was somebody else." And Gordon gets super defensive again and it was is like, "Are you calling me crazy? Because like, I'm not the crazy one." And <laughs> Gordon the whole time meanwhile was acting super crazy and confrontational about this. And I was and so I even wrote a note of like, "Yeah, Gordon, you're totally not the crazy one." wink wink i I wrote down that gordon serves as the oracle of this movie which is totally true uh because you kind of slowly find out that gordon is kind of the center of a lot of these weird appearances and weird shit happening to people After that, like, he meets back up with Officer Mills, and I guess because he's a reporter, she, like, lets him see a bunch of strange police reports about Mothman sightings. Did you find this scene weird?
1: Yes, because even if he's a reporter, she still wouldn't just be like, cool, yeah, come on, let me just dump all these police files here. Like, no, that's not how that works.
0: Yeah, like, she totally just brings him to the back of a police station, pulls out all these, like, crime reports that all involve, like, sightings of of this weird figure in Mothman, It's so weird, like, everyone's so ready to tell, like, everyone acts like they're not ready to tell him, but then they tell John, like, everything he wants to know about the Mothman, like, they're so ready to reveal this.
1: Well, they even say a few times, yeah, people are, like, scared to talk about it, and, you know, maybe they're embarrassed, they just don't want to say what they actually saw, but you're right, literally every character is just like, oh yeah, Mothman, let me tell you all about that shit, let me tell you all about the time that, like, I saw the Mothman, so, like, where is that coming from?
0: Yeah, so, yeah, he's, like, he's going through all these police reports with her obviously you can kind of it doesn't hide the fact that it's like basically setting up for officer mills and john to like kind of get together yeah right like i mean that's like even this scene is like she's doing this because she likes him and she has a crush that's what it truly felt like to me I was like what the fuck is this movie trying to be and do like i don't get it I'm kind of lost as to, like, the, the scene-by-scene stuff that happens from here.
1: They basically just go around and they start interviewing, like, all these other people that supposedly saw the Mothman. That's right. So they, like, right. talk to this lady who, like, yeah. saw the Mothman out the window of her house one night. And she's like, well, he was, like, just under this branch of the tree, which means he's probably eight feet tall. And his eyes glowed like fire or whatever. And the- Also,
0: too, there's this, like, weird symbol thing. That's, like, carved into the tree, and it was also on the front of the car. Like, after his wife crashed a car, like, he discovered that...
1: I wouldn't say simple. Like, let's clarify that. I don't think it's necessarily a symbol, but it's, like, a weird scorch mark... Kind of thing. Yeah. If that makes more sense. But it's in like a weird pattern.
0: And you see it kind of throughout the movie a little bit here and there anytime there's any sighting of the Mothman. So yeah, like during all this time, like they're interviewing and Officer Mills starts telling John about how she had this weird, like the only weird thing that's happened to her recently is she had this weird dream where she was drowning. It felt like she was about to die. And then all of a sudden a voice tells her wake up number 37 and she woke up from the dream they reconnect with gordon gordon starts telling him about all these voices and weird shit happening to him he says that there were voices in his sink telling him in denver 99 will die john is like compiling all this stuff and Again, officer, I, I was thinking, like, Officer Mills, aren't you supposed to be doing, like, other stuff as a police officer for this town? You're just, like, chaperoning this Washington Post reporter around and just asking yeah. people all about the Mothman.
1: Like, really? There's even, there's a moment, too, where uh, Richard Gere goes back to will patton's house gordon's house and like basically just sits in his car like kind of far enough away from the house that he can't necessarily see just to kind of see what happens that night because again he was told like oh yeah you came to my house two or three nights before and of course when he's sitting there laura lenny like rolls up in her car and it's like oh yeah I figured I'd find you here like what are you doing like in the middle of the night what are you doing as a police officer but I guess okay sure like just see what this dude's up to so then they just kind of get cozy and hang out in her car three o'clock in the morning passes by or whatever and they're like well I guess you know whoever it was didn't show up this time um so there's just a lot of that stuff back and forth where you know they're kind of looking into it but yeah you're right like Gordon gets the weird voice in the sink telling him that in Denver 99 will die and then you know they're discussing everything everything you know the next day at a diner the news is on in the background on the tv showing like an airplane crash that happened in denver where 99 people died and john just kind of like looks over at and they kind of give each other <laughs> that like oh no kind of face
0: <laughs> yeah again i would be taking this all a lot more seriously at this point if it wasn't for the fucking scene transitions because again i wrote down at this point the scene transitions are getting ridiculous and it took me out of the movie so much that like, it couldn't take any of this shit as seriously. And again, It's no knock on Laura Linney or Richard Gere or any of them, like the actors. Like, they're doing their best with what they have.
1: The directing and the editing, I think, are what is rough in this movie. Like, if you handed the same thing to somebody else that was maybe a more competent director... I mean, sorry, Mark Pellington, but, you know, we get it. This is maybe your first, you know, motion picture. Actually, no, I think you did Arlington Road before this. Yeah, I, yeah I think he actually did two anyway, movies before this. I just don't think like this is a well-directed movie. I think that's kind of the biggest problem with it ultimately.
0: Yeah, but the, like I said, they're they're doing their best like with what they have. Yeah. And while we are kind of it's like we're poking fun at the movie um and the plot elements again it's not a bad movie it's it's enjoyable and interesting enough to hold your attention through but it, it's just like these weird little things of just like the people acting mysterious but then they're not acting mysterious Officer Mills doing stuff that would get most police people fired and possibly jailed like yeah. <laughs> showing him just crime <laughs> reports like just cause like to a dude she just met just because he has like a pass that says that he's part of the press during these events like when he's talking with Gordon the next night like after like this whole thing of the 99 passengers Gordon tells him like frantically how how he met the voices in his head each time they talk to somebody about like their experience with the Mothman there's a little bit of like a flashback of kind of like what's happening and all of it like you were saying like they never show the Mothman it's all like these lights and everything it's all implied but this is kind of the first scene where it's a lengthy kind of abduction scene of Gordon. I, I wrote it as an abduction scene because it straight up felt like this is somebody taking a UFO report or an abduction report and shooting a scene out of it
1: or more like an encounter because he's like in his truck and I think he was like near the chemical factory they keep going back to the chemical factory and they keep showing the chemical factor too which that'll play in a little bit later but yeah he's like in his truck and he starts to kind of hear the voice and he sees like a figure approaches truck you know he says it looked human enough the person like approaches him and says that their name is injured cold and that this person was like who told him all this stuff
0: yeah this guy named injured or this being named injured cold this scene is actually like it's pretty well done for being kind of a more creepy horror scene. It's it's it, it's effective. If you are more disturbed by extraterrestrial stuff, this might kind of creep you out more than it did me, but I I thought it was a, a a pretty good scene all things considered. Out of the flashbacks, it definitely is the best scene um out of the flashback like Mothman experience scenes. Also to kind of back up for a second like when they're interviewing everybody, there is a young couple that experienced it. There's also hints throughout the movie that like anyone who meets the Mothman has like this weird red marking around one of their eyes they meet up with this young couple where they were like having a night where they were like hooking up near the factory and this mothman being appeared and now the the male has like this weird marking around his eye and then like they end the scene by saying we're engaged. We're going to get married soon. And it's done in like this, like <laughs> by the way, yeah, it's by the way. And, and like, it's, it's implied that like they're really young and, and, and it was funny. Cause John even is like, Oh, congratulations. Like that. That's great. So the next night after like the Indrid cold story, uh, or late, I think it's actually that same night. John is back at the hotel and Gordon calls John on the hotel number and says that he is standing with someone named Indrid cold. While John keeps them on the phone, like Officer Mills was in the hotel room with with John at this point, like as they were like going through all the stuff that like they he's discovered. He motions to like injured colds on the phone Go check on, uh, go check on Gordon. Like, go to Gordon's house right now because apparently Cold is there. You
1: see Richard Gere earlier in the movie. He's at like a junk shop taking through like old tape recorders, and he apparently finds a tape recorder that you can kind of line directly into your phone line as a in between. So he tells her like hit the record button. So they're recording the conversation now that he's having with Gordon and this injured Cold being. And then, yeah, she, like, gets in her car and hightails it over to his place.
0: Yeah, and so while they're on the phone, like, John is still skeptical. And so Indra Cold starts making, like, all these predictions and saying stuff that, like, Indra Cold should not know. Like, John at one point puts something in his shoe and asks Indra Cold, what did I just do? And he, and Indra Cold's like, oh, you put that in your shoe and it's under the bed. Yeah, he,
1: he takes his watch off, puts his watch in the shoe, scoots it under the bed. And just says, like, where's my watch? It's in the shoe. Where's my shoe? under the bed like okay fuck yeah like you know like what's what's in my hand right now chapstick okay uh fuck this book that's in my hotel room that's not my book what's on page 56 line three and injured cold like reads it out perfectly so There's clearly, like, something going on. He's freaking out because now he's like, is there a camera in here? Are you watching me? Like, how do you know this? And then finally it gets to the point where he's just like, okay, like, are you reading my mind? Like, what the fuck is happening right now? I think this scene right here is, like, the only scene in this movie that's, like, really, truly kind of unnerving and creepy. And it's partly just because the voice is so disturbing. Hello, John Clark. Who is this? My name is Indrid Cole. Unless, oh, of course, you're Gordon Smallwood. Your father was born in Racine, Wisconsin. He lived in a greenhouse house on Monroe Street.
0: You don't remember how your mother looked.
1: Okay, you got my attention.
0: Where's my watch? You're sure? Under the bed. <laughs> yeah, the voice is like, it kind of jumps from being bug-like to distorted. Yeah. It sounds like, I hate, I know this is weird to say, but it almost sounds like if a moth was a person and tried to talk, this is kind of what they would be like.
1: It's like a very gentle yet really creepy kind of voice. The voice is actually done by the director um he's i think he's maybe uncredited but he's the one doing the voice on the phone uh, but just the fact too that like it clearly like knows what's going on and just the way that, that scene is put together i think is very effective because it's cutting between them talking and then cutting back and forth to connie driving to gordon's house
0: and it was funny because i one of the one of the lines that Indra Cold says to John while they're on the phone is, "We've already met, John." And I wrote "Lost Highway?" question mark Yeah, it, it, like that line straight up sounded like, and like the way the voice was be- was being done and everything. It, this whole scene seemed like it was almost like out of a Lynch movie and out of yeah. Lost Highway.
1: I was just just waiting for the moment where he finally just like, "Who are you?" And then Indra Cold goes, "Who the." F- Fucker. Fuck are, are you, you. <laughs>
0: yeah i could see Andrew cold being the mystery man from Lost highway yeah <laughs> they could be one in the same
1: but yeah connie like eventually gets to gordon's house and knocks yeah. on the door and gordon just kind of answers and is like hey how's it going yeah what's up and she's like wait what did you not call us right i was like no nah, i've been in bed like what are you talking about is Andrew cold in there with you <laughs> yeah so like weird shit's clearly happening
0: yeah and uh at one point while they're on the phone there's like this loud distortion noise and it kind of like causes john to pull the phone away from his face but like kind of like get pushed back by like some unnatural scene unseen force then like he hangs up the phone and so he takes all these recordings and he he brings them to like audio specialists and things like that to at like the local radio station to kind of like dissect the noise and everything and the guy is like this pitch is inhuman this voice is something that is
1: not made through human vocal cords he also specifically says that it's like an electrical impulse pulse which again if we're talking about David Lynch like that's another huge lynchian thing is yeah you know electricity so he he definitely says like it's not a human voice regardless
0: and from here on out there's weird phone calls through the movie and like every time it's electronic voice is a good way of describing most of these calls so this does start a string of like supernatural calls to john's motel room um one of the calls says that there's going to be this great tragedy on the ohio river another call john receives from gordon and And It's like a frantic call. So John like drives over to Gordon's house and he finds Gordon is outside dead from exposure. Leading up to this, you found out like one of the last times he confronts Gordon before this, uh, Gordon was saying how this ruined his life. Like his wife left him. He was fired from his job because like he just can't function as a normal human being anymore because of these experiences. So in a lot of ways, like his experiences with Indra Cold and all these prophecies that he's been making has kind of ruined his life and then yeah he he finds him dead from exposure when
1: he rushes over to his house the most recent prediction that the voice makes is that there's going to be a great tragedy on the ohio river yeah yeah and so this is kind of where the chemical factory comes back into the whole story because the chemical factory is like right on the river right there
0: yeah and so john is becoming more and more a little bit unhinged even but obsessed with this At this point too, the Mothman, I think the first time that they spoke, like when he was supposedly with Gordon, the Mothman even told him about his wife and saying like his wife just wants him to be happy and is sorry for like what she did and like for like dying basically and just wants him to continue being happy and that like really disturbs John. So he kind of comes obsessed with this Mothman and even a little pissed off
1: at it. And one thing that Gordon does say over the phone the night that he calls him before he dies, Eyes is, I'll see you in time. And that's the same thing that his wife said to him, you know, the night that she died. You know, he's obsessed with this whole story because he feels like there is some direct link between what's going on here and why he was drawn to the town and like what happened with his wife
0: yeah and so because of his obsession he decides to leave town and drive up to i think chicago right
1: he gets a lead on this guy named alexander leek who is like an expert on this mothman stuff and he's into all this other parapsychology whatnot and he's like a well-known person in that field and he's out of chicago He may as well be John Leake himself. Yeah. (laughs) Or John Keel himself. He had initially reached out to him and said, like, hey, I want to interview you to discuss this, and he just flat out says, no. You know, so he kind of figures, like, okay, fuck it. Like, I'm gonna go to Chicago and actually confront this guy and, like, corner him essentially into talking to me, which is exactly what he does, essentially. He drives to Chicago, tracks the guy down, and just kind of bombards him in an alleyway as he's, like, walking to somewhere and it's just like, yo, motherfucker, we're gonna talk about this.
0: And I, I do wonder if this was kind of done on purpose like as almost like a direct comparison to maybe John Keel's life because Leek is very reluctant to talk about all this but when he starts going he really starts going and I loved Leek's justifications for like supernatural beings in general because it it sounds exactly like any of those kind of batshit supernatural experts that you listen to like on uh, Coast to Coast or anything like that and he like then goes on to tell John like leave this alone like it's only gonna ruin your life basically it ruined mine
1: yeah you kind of get the sense that this is what john would become if he pursued this any further you know he would also just become this broken shell of a person where everybody that trusts him leaves and you know he's just kind of made it to a laughing stock but a lot of the way that you know they discuss Mothman in general is really interesting and it's a lot of the more interesting aspects of this movie but I feel like it literally breezes through all of it because they explain you know what is it can it see the future and he's like no I don't think it can see the future I don't think it's like an alien but think about how that window washer at the top of that building could like see further down the road than we can see where we are now does that make them supernatural no but like it just means they can see things that we can't can't necessarily see yeah Okay, that, that's an interesting concept.
0: He's like, oh, why why is he acting a
1: certain way like this? Why doesn't he just like explain what his intentions are to us? Yeah, yeah,
0: and then he's like, well, would you explain your intentions to a cockroach? It's just this being is above us. So therefore, however it acts, it doesn't need to explain itself to us because it's something unknowable. And yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed this whole scene. Like I said, Alan Bates portraying Alexander Leak. This might be one of my favorite performances in the movie next to will Patton and laura linney it was kind of an exposition dump and it was kind of rushed i kind of wish that he had been brought into the movie sooner and he was in more of the movie and it was more slowly revealed over time like he, he could have been like the information expert and like said all these cool lines throughout the movie but instead he just kind of masturbates it all out onto screen in this like 10 to 15 minute part
1: yeah if they had spent more time with him and really like had the characters discuss the nature of what's going on a little bit more, I think it would have been more interesting instead of just let's cram in as much spoopy atmosphere stuff as we can. I don't know, like, I, I, I do like his performance as well because he's not, like, full-blown, crazy, bug-eyed, unhinged. He's playing it very much as, like, a broken, tired, I'm fucking done with this, like, no patience kind of person. It's very much like what this kind of person would probably be like in real life if they had really gotten on the crazy train for a couple of years and it wrecked their life. And then they kind of look back at it in not so favorable light later.
0: And he does a good job, though, of still like you can tell he's still passionate about it because like once John reveals more about like how multiple sightings have been made in this one town, Leak kind of opens up more to it. And then like as he's kind of doing his exposition dump, like you can tell like, oh, this guy is an expert and he still has a passion for it when you can catch him and he can kind of forget his own like the misery of his own life that it's caused and just focus on the subject matter. He loves talking about it.
1: He is kind of concerned as well because he kind of tells him like all over the world before the Horrible incidents happen, like train wrecks or, you know, earthquakes or whatever. You know, people see this mothman. Spoiler alert, that's not part of the actual story in real life. It's not like a worldwide thing, like I mentioned earlier. But he's genuinely kind of concerned because the fact that so many people have been seeing it in this one area basically means that something bad's about to happen. So he kind of tells John, like, don't go back. Just don't go back. Get the fuck out. Just leave it alone whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen and if you involve yourself with it chances are you're gonna be killed whatever like you're gonna get involved in it and maybe that's why the thing reached out to you maybe that's why like it got you involved is you're part of its giant ultimate plan of death or destruction so he basically just kind of washes his hands of it after that
0: so from all of this john realizes because uh, john learns that the governor that he was supposed to go and interview that he's kind of been just abandoning that duty to follow up, up on the story and and the whole time he's selling his work at the watch uh, like telling the people he works with at the Washington Post like he discovered this awesome story in Point Pleasant and so he's kind of been able to push off his original duty of interviewing this governor in his campaign to follow up on the story but they're starting to like kind of call him on his bullshit of just being like okay bro like you're still not giving us concrete information on what's happening in Point Pleasant you need to get back to doing your fucking job and one of these phone calls he learns that the governor is coming to tour the chemical plant on the Ohio River so John becomes convinced after he meets with Leake that oh this is the prophecy the uh, coming true the great tragedy on the ohio river something bad is going to happen at the chemical plant when the governor is there touring it so then it's like kind of these quick scene transitions like showing john like running up to the governor and his like bosses and other people he works with like telling them like you need to cancel this
1: specifically like he runs up to them on the tarmac as they're like getting off of the plane and he's like trying to push his way through the crowds and the security to like talk to the governor which th- that's something that we look back on now post 9/11 especially and we're like no like that motherfucker would have been shot like as soon as he pushed through the line of the crowd that governor's bodyguards would have just like put him the fuck on the ground
0: which is interesting because this movie was filmed i'm assuming before 9/11 but it was released it had to have been yeah yeah but it was it was released January 2002 so 9/11 was still very fresh so yeah the <laughs> cat It it was probably funny to see this scene that fresh after 9-11. But yeah, and like the governor's like, well, is is there a bomb threat or like what's this information? And he's like, I can't explain to you exactly like what it is, but I just, I have a source that tells me that something bad's going to happen. And the governor basically like tells him to fuck off. And then like you can even see a scene where the governor tells him like, I need, I need to get in touch with his boss and drives off. And then it's shown that like later on, John is at a diner somewhere and he's walking. Watching the TV, and of course, the governor's whole deal happens with no tragedy. And so it's implied that John's life is sort of starting to be ruined now. He's back at the motel probably the creepiest part of the movie to me and this is another horror movie trope that always kind of creeps me out he has like this dream where he's like laying in his bed on his side and he turns over and his wife is there like his wife mary is there and like it's not like her dead body like it's not like she's in like makeup or like looks like a a monster it's like a flash of her like literally like as a like almost like a ghost like being like checking in on him but it's creepy cuz it's very sudden And it's almost like a jump scare. Again, kind of to go off base to another horror trope and talk about it a little while. This is another one, kind of like the creepy drawings that gets me, is when someone's laying in bed and they're supposed to be alone in the bed and, like, they're on their side and then they turn over and something's there. For whatever reason, that always kind of gets me. So,
1: does that do the same for you, or...? Uh, it depends. Like, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. In this case, it didn't because it wasn't played jump-scary enough. Also, I mean, if I just rolled over in bed and Deborah Messing was laying there beside me I mean I would have a completely different reaction but Oh yeah
0: I mean obviously yeah. but,
1: <laughs> but... Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. I'm not a big fan of the, like, rollover and then there's a person with white eyes and, like, really too big mouth-like screaming, whatever. Yeah, see, that's a shit I hate. <laughs> I think the instance that I honestly love best is the end of, uh, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Just because the actor's reaction is, like, so fucking extreme that it's less, like, what he sees when he rolls over that's creepy. but more like his reaction is just... Bonkers that I love, like, that particular instance of this. But, yeah, I mean, it. sometimes that works for me, sometimes it doesn't. I'm not a big jump scare person like you are, but sometimes it's effective, sometimes it's not.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know what it is about jump scares. I fucking hate them, and they always piss me off when they happen in horror movies, if they're not well-earned. Autopsy of Jane Doe, I felt, was well-earned jump scares. I didn't mind that, but a movie like The Grudge, where every fucking scene has a jump scare somewhere in it, it's like, yeah. come on, like, let's, let's stop this nonsense. And so then, like, he gets up after that. He's looking in the mirror, and he bashes his head into the mirror. But then, like, that was also a vision. And he realizes he's kind of going crazy. So he says, fuck this, I'm out. Gathers up all the stuff that he had researched on. You could see all over his hotel. Like, he was super obsessed with this whole Mod Man thing. There were-
1: he's got the giant fucking, like, splay of all the pictures and documents with all the red lines and bullshit going to it And he just, like, all his, like, conspiracy theory map, essentially, and just, yeah, he balls all of it up and, like, throws it in the dumpster behind the hotel.
0: Yeah, then I think Officer Mills shows up and is like, oh, you're leaving? And he's like, yeah, fuck this, I'm out. And she's just like, this is destroying you, basically. Like, this whole obsession has destroyed you. Like, why don't you calm down and blah, blah. And he's like,
1: nah, nah, I'm out. He's obviously kind of become more and more unhinged here. I think this might have happened right before... For this whole scene, like earlier in the day, I think it did. Yeah, I think so. While he's like walking through town, you do see a flash of Deborah Messing like walk behind him really quickly, and then later he goes to the police department. Yeah, I and forgot about that. Officer Mills is like, "Yo, there was a lady just here, like asking for you." She said that she wanted to just check and see how you were and see if you were happy. That specifically was something that Gordon had mentioned to him the night that Gordon died. was like, when was the last time that you were, like, really happy? And you see Richard Gere kind of, like, think about it a little bit. And, you know, we can infer that probably the last time he was happy was the night that he and his wife were, like, looking at houses and laughing and making out in the closet and that kind of bullshit. So the fact that, like, this woman shows up and asks, you know, like, Is he happy? He was like, okay, what did she look like? Officer Mills says, well, she was tall. She had, like, red hair, green eyes. You know, at that point Richard Gere is starting to kind of freak out. It's like, Whoa, wait, and he like runs out of the building, like looking for, because she apparently like just left. Um, and he can't find her like anywhere. You know, outside. And Officer Mills comes down. He basically pulls a picture of his wife out of his wallet and says, "Is this who you saw?" And at first she's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's totally her." And as she kind of realizes it, she kind of starts to backpedal a little bit. She's like, "Well, I mean, whoever I talked to probably like looked like that, and I'm just kind of like reading into it." Because Officer Mills is still clearly like. Not Not wanting to like fully buy in to all the weirdness she's seeing
0: that he's becoming disturbed by it and she doesn't want him to become more unhinged and like when we say that like he pulls out this picture and shows her he's acting like fucking batman like (laughs) interrogating the joker in the dark knight where is she he's like that kind of unhinged with her
1: this is a lot of where like i don't think richard gear is really cast well because he doesn't pull off Crazy, I don't think. Like, if you had a different actor in this movie who could really pull off that transition of totally normal to full blown obsessed crazy, I think this movie would work better. But as is, like, Richard Gere doesn't pull that off because at no point do you really believe that he's kind of gone off the deep end. So, anyway, again, like, later that night, like we mentioned, he freaks out. He starts having weird visions, so he just says, fuck it, there's all of this stuff away, goes home. Like, he leaves, he goes back um, to D.C., he gets, like, a really weird cryptic message that says that his wife, Mary, is gonna call him. Well, actually, he, like, gets the message saying that his wife is gonna call him back in Georgetown. So he, like, drives all the fucking way back home to, like, hang out at his house and, like, sit in front of the phone and wait on her. And while he's sitting and waiting, right before nine o'clock when this call is supposed to happen...
0: And it's on Christmas Eve, right? Yeah. Like, it's right before Christmas when she's supposed to call.
1: Yeah. As he's sitting there waiting at the phone right before nine, a few minutes before officer collins calls him or officer mills calls him and starts to talk to him and she's like trying to convince him to come back to point pleasant because he's clearly like having a rough time and she just thinks like he doesn't need to be on his own so she even says like i paid for your plane ticket you need to come back you can tell like they have a thing that's starting to develop and she's kind of starting to you know have feelings for him so she's trying to convince him to like come back so they can at least be together you know and he won't be entirely alone
0: even beyond romance in general like she's just like you shouldn't be alone like this on christmas eve you should just yeah. be with people like my family is more than willing to take you in for christmas like come spend it with us
1: yeah and he's very anxious at this point because you know he's supposed to be getting this call from his dead wife then he's got this call from connie and he's just getting really anxious because in the back of his head he's like get off the phone get off the phone get off the phone you know she eventually convinces him and he kind of puts you the call from his wife that he was supposed to get aside he finally just says like this is fucking crazy like all right done like stepping away from this I'll go back I
0: actually kind of enjoyed this scene from just an acting standpoint this is one of the parts where I think Richard Gere was was doing a better job he starts breaking down while they're on the phone like he's crying he's so conflicted and I guess part of the reason why this is effective for me is because like this scene is eerily reminiscent like when I've been on the phone with somebody I love but I've also been kind of going through a depressive episode of just like i've been battle with myself and one of the options is super crazy and like lonely and obviously the wrong choice but for whatever reason you feel lost and want to continue down that path and the other is like someone reaching out to you telling you like hey no you should come out you should be with people i know it seems hard but it'll be better for you yeah there were a couple lines i really enjoyed connie has this whole thing about like whoever that is it's injured cold it's not your wife it's injured cold acting like your wife yeah if there is life after death, I guarantee you that wherever Connie is, she is nowhere near where Injured Cold is. That kind of is the wake up call for him of just being like, fuck, she's kind of right because he's already been acting like uh, Gordon. He's obviously been and other people are saying that like they heard different people's voices when it was injured cold. Yeah, like he gets off the phone with her. He's like, fuck it. I am going to go. And like the phone starts ringing like right on the dot, like when his wife is supposed to be called. And he just straight up like bashes the phone and like rips it off the wall and like uh, and rips the cord out and leaves. This is one of the scene transitions that I did enjoy because is this the one where it kind of like zooms in on a picture of her like his wife and it showed like the red kind of uh, light of the phone kind of dimmed down in her
1: eyes. Yeah, I think I think this is where that transition happened.
0: And that's one of the few transitions in this movie I did think was effective and I did enjoy because it showed that like it was kind of a little bit of an implication of yeah, that totally was injured cold just acting like his wife. So he starts driving back to Point Pleasant. He rejoins. ...reaches the Silver Bridge, and all of a sudden there's a
1: lot of traffic,
0: and you can tell that, like, that's not normal for this small town.
1: There's, like, a traffic light that's broken up ahead or something like that, so it's just causing everything to be backed up.
0: And it just so happens that, that further up the bridge, Connie is there... He's parked and stuck in traffic like right before entering the bridge. He starts kind of putting stuff together in his head and he's just like, oh shit, the prophesied tragedy on the Ohio River is about the bridge. So he like jumps out of his car and starts like running up the bridge, shouting at people to get out of their cars. And of course, most of the people are ignoring him like, what the fuck are you talking about?
1: Yeah, little by little, you see like the bridge groaning and creaking, bolts shuddering, and the bridge swaying. And the people on the bridge like can't necessarily like see any of that going on yeah he's running over the length of the bridge like screaming at everybody to like get out of their cars
0: and it's cutting back to connie who is either she was by a piece of the bridge that she is noticing is starting to like break apart or like she feels a little bit herself so she kind of is getting out of the car and she doesn't know what's happening yet but she's kind of like looking around seeing what's what's up i I thought this was just unnecessarily cruel he gets up to the car of that dude who uh who is the young guy with the mark on his eye we're get married yeah we're gonna we're gonna get married guy
1: no you're not motherfucker
0: and like he's like in his car listening to uh like some alternative rock or something too loud and like he rolls down his his window when uh john is like pounding on his window be like cj cj get out of the car get out of the car the bridge is collapsing and he's like wait what and then right when that happens a piece of the bridge snaps and it comes down this scene was like a it's unnecessarily cruel and b it's like this weird funny part of the movie like funny in a way of like why the ridiculous ways people die in slasher movies is funny like the guy just stares at this thing coming at him and he has like a full three or four seconds to even if he just ducks he he'll be okay like if he just moves in his seat in any way he could have been fine but he had more than enough time to like get out of the fucking car and he just stares screaming as like this cord comes down and like crashes into his car and this is really the only like kill in the movie that you see kind of on screen it's implied that like it fucking impales him or just wrecks him
1: it's like a fi- destination death like that (laughs) that giant metal cable like whips into his car and just explodes the cab of his car
0: yeah again i think i mean he probably would have been injured pretty badly but i think even if he just ducked in that like three or four second time where he was watching it come at him he'd have been fine he would have lived like he would have lived yeah and then well the other thing that's unnecessarily cruel is like at this point then like the bridge is starting to shake it shows on the other side of the bridge the dudes and fiance the girl or from early in the movie is in like a bridal boutique like trying on bridal dresses and like she
1: steps out and sees what's happening yeah
0: seeing the bridge like kind of like shaking and stuff so it's implied that he was stuck in traffic to meet her at the bridal boutique and it's just like really movie did you need to you didn't you need to go there, like, for no fucking reason.
1: I'll say, too, like, this entire bridge sequence, it's technically very impressive. This was a huge, like, massive model that they actually collapsed. And they, like, built this giant model in, like, a water tank and everything else for this whole sequence. And they had all these different camera angles to capture them pulling this bridge apart. So it looks very good. Good, Like, there is some CGI here and there, but for the most part, it's a very visceral moment, and I have talked to multiple people, my wife included, who have said, I fucking hate being on bridges like that because of this movie. It terrifies me to be on bridges like this. So that's definitely, like a huge fear anytime that like i would drive across the causeway or even like the twin span or something like that and just be like fuck like what if a chunk of this just disintegrates and my car just plunges into the water like uh terrifying um so i have like a little bit of that fear because drowning and like suffocation and claustrophobia is definitely like a fear of mine but the whole scene plays as maybe a little bit like unnecessarily cruel but i don't but i don't think so i I don't know ultimately a lot of people bite it yeah you see a lot of people in this scene like going off the edge in their cars and like a lot of people just get killed
0: but yeah literally like the only part of this whole scene that i thought was maybe a little bit mean-spirited was cj getting killed otherwise like yeah i think the rest of the bridge collapsing is is very well done like you said i if it was just that and not having to go back to the young couple that were engaged just to show him eat it and then her in the bridal boutique i think yeah i think the rest of it would have been totally fine but i just think that was just another layer of the movie that they thought they're kind of being clever about or whatever but it was just it was unnecessary in my opinion but ultimately
1: the bridge you know, falls apart, you see all the big slabs, like, slide, and all the cars kind of going everywhere, but ultimately, Laura Linney ends up back in her squad car, and it goes in the water, and she, like, hits her head going down, so she's knocked out, and her car is sinking.
0: He sees a, a cop car go over the side, and he assumes that, like, that's her.
1: John has, like, had an eye on her this whole time on the opposite end of the bridge, and he's been, like, slowly making his way to her, but, you know, the bridge fell apart, so now he's basically staring across the other side of the bridge as it's falling apart at her car going down
0: yeah so he dives into the water after and yeah he like gets to her car he breaks open a window he grabs her and he swims to safety with her and so it shows them like on the side of the river later on and there's like ambulances and police around everywhere and they're like sitting in the ambulance they have a blanket around each other because it was like obviously super
1: cold before they get out of the water they swim up and this directly ties back into, like, the dream that she had where she was she was in the water and she couldn't get out and she was surrounded by, like, presents, um, like Christmas gifts. And, you know, that's what's happening. Like, you see all the Christmas gifts in people's cars floating in the water around them. And the eerie image is just seeing, like, a overhead shot of the bridge that's collapsed and seeing all the headlights of these cars that are now underwater, like, shining out of the water in all these different directions.
0: And they're shined in the symbol of a mob. <laughs> as it transitions again I, I did write down when did this horror movie turn into disaster porn I, I do think the bridge collapse for the most part was very well done to the point of where it felt like a big budget disaster movie at one point yeah but yeah so they're on the side of the river they're obviously being taken care of by emts it shows other people who did survive but also went to the water being taken care of someone walks up to officer mills and I think it's it like was...
1: the sheriff or somebody like yeah. that yeah he's
0: like it's bad and they're like how bad And they're like well We think it's about 36 people dead and then that's when it like hit clicks they're so like oh no officer mills was number 37 just like in her dream yeah wake up 37 and i was just like man that was a little on the nose huh mr mothman so and that's kind of how the movie ends
1: and that's that's literally how the movie ends like that's the last line. <laughs> yeah. <time. It's> like <laughs> yeah. i was number 37 the Pull entire back, time, helicopter shot <laughs> sees the entire like city sees the bridge collapse cue like matrix techno music I was
0: waiting, I was half expecting Q crawling in my skin
1: like Or rage Yeah Just Shut it burn. off! Yeah.
0: And Neo flies up the screen except that's the Mothman <laughs> <laughs> You did think you would get exposed But I'm gonna show everyone And he flies up the screen <laughs> and his rage plays uh. So, again, at the time of this recording, it's it's Halloween, so you'll probably hear this well after Halloween, but both Mansfield and I have been participating in the F This Movie podcast, Seven Word Reviews, where you watch horror movies in the month of October and you write a seven-word review about the movie. Most of the reviews are just, like, making fun of the movie or poking fun at stuff, and, and they're funny.
1: Yeah, there's only so much that you can say in seven words to, like, fully explain <laughs> your views on a movie, but so most of them end up being comical.
0: So I wrote two seven word reviews. I think I wrote three altogether, but the two that I remember um, for the Mothman prophecies, one was about like, if they made a sequel to Mothman, it would be Mothman Two: Mothman saves Christmas again, because (laughs) this is sort of like Mothman either caused a disaster or saved like Officer Mills and John's life. So he saved Christmas in a way. And then the other thing I wrote about was how is Mothman just like the shittiest supernatural matchmaker? Like, he did all of this shit just to get, get them, them together. together in this weird fucked up way by, like, killing off all these other people.
1: <laughs> uh, so, yeah, too, like, at the end, it does cut to, like, a, a post note that says, like, Oh, yeah, the cause of the bridge collapse was never fully determined, and the Mothman was never seen again. Okay, first of all, in real life... The bridge collapse was totally fucking identified. It was literally just like a piece that broke and there was no redundancy to like catch it. So the whole bridge just fucking fell apart. So that totally like is a thing that was explained and they figured out like what was going on. And apparently it led to like a bunch of other bridges being re-examined throughout the United States to make sure that they didn't have the same vulnerability. And in real life too, the incident killed 46 people, not 36, which... I don't know why the fuck the movie had to make that weird distinction. Like, the if the original like incident has a higher body count, wouldn't you go for that if you're making a horror movie? I don't (laughs) know, know. but either way, that's the movie, and then it cuts to like very David Fincher Seven esque closing credits with a Tom and Andy song techno. Trip hop playing in the background, kind of bullshit. So yay.
0: You did bring up a, an interesting point though about like one of the fears that this movie brings up is like bridges because bridges still collapse to this day. Like it's yeah, it's it's not a thing that like we've gotten past. If like, we
1: want to have a really like ridiculous and long complicated conversation about how America's infrastructure is crumbling, like we can go there. Um, so that's that's totally like a real life thing that still happens for sure. So. I get why people are terrified of that. Yeah, that giant like I don't know like where it is specifically, but like ten going into New Orleans, there's that like really big huge bridge that goes kind of over the river a little bit but it's just like really really high that one drives heather up the wall like anytime that we have to go over that she's just like fuck because it's like a roller coaster going up to the top of that thing yeah but yeah just imagine in my head like oh yeah what if one of those support beams like just decides to fall the fuck apart and this whole entire thing just falls over to east new orleans
0: <laughs> or like or like the part of the pillars that are underwater have eroded enough to like where it's just enough weight place in the right spot, yeah, yeah. I mean, all of the bridges around the New Orleans area. Are, I always think about that. The scariest one is the one going from the East Bank to the West Bank, the uh, high rise <laughs> over the yeah. Mississippi. That's fucking real high up, and you're going into the Mississippi, which is a dangerous river to begin with. Yeah, at least part of where it is in New Orleans, and your chances of survival of that thing goes down are slim to none if you're in a car. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, especially if you're in a car, definitely. But yeah, I mean, this movie like takes some really base fears like that and just kind of throws them all together in a way that's not entirely effective or satisfying and that's kind of ultimately where i come down on this movie like there is some mildly creepy stuff i like the idea of like the unknowable with the mothman but so many other movies do it more effectively i think
0: yes this movie is chock full of great ideas that are just done better in other horror movies yeah again not to say it's a bad movie it's not not a great movie but it's not a bad movie it's it's a good after like you were saying it's a good afternoon movie to put on in like the background and if you are a horror buff it is worth watching just to have it in your repertoire of movies that you've watched I don't, I'm not going to say it's a cult classic because it's definitely not a cult classic, but at the time it came out, at least when I was in middle school and going into high school, it was like one of those movies that everyone talked about, but I ne- like, they never talked enough about it that I ever really got an idea of what exactly it was about. Well, now I know what it's about, and I'm glad I did watch it. Now that I have watched it and now that we've talked about it on this podcast, I don't think I'll remember too much from it.
1: Do you think that there's any need or maybe room to like ever revisit this in another movie? Which, there have been other movies that have dealt with the Mothman bullshit. Like, there's been a lot of Asylum, sci-fi channel, direct-to-video kind of things that are doing Mothman stuff. Do you feel like there's ever a need to really go back and revisit the story at all? That's... Do you feel like it could maybe be done better with like better people attached i definitely
0: think it can be done better with better people attached a different script different actors again not to say the actors were bad hell they probably could have done a great job if the script was better i think now especially since horror is the quality of horror and what we expect from it in modern day is a lot higher than maybe it was in the early 2000s i do have faith that it can be done better than this. Do I think one down the line it will be revisited? Absolutely I think everything is going to be revisited some point or another. Do I think it needs to be? I don't know to me I like the Mothman as like a cryptid. It's just a fascinating cryptid to me. I like reading about it again I don't believe it at all. Um, I don't think there's any ability to it. I just think it's a fucking bird like you do but I do like when people talk about it it's fun but does it deserve its own like not necessarily groundbreaking but well received movie like even better received than this one. Eh, I don't know. Yeah. Honestly, if we're talking cryptids, and I'm sure there are, and I just don't know about it, but I would love to see, like, a legitimately scary modern werewolf movie that is well-received.
1: Werewolves are hard to do. Yes, they are. <laughs> Werewolves have proven to be hard to do because...
0: They're almost better served as action horror. Like, they're almost better served as, like, either fighting, like, vampires, like, in Underworld, or... Not that... uh, I don't think Underworld's a great movie,
1: but... Yeah, I don't like those, but a a good example is, like, Dog Soldiers from No Marsh. Like, I do like that one. But, yeah, like, werewolves are hard because there's so much... So much of the movie hinges on whether or not you have a good design and whether or not you have a good transformation. There is so much contextually that you can kind of make... A werewolf movie into and comment on like I think a great example and we just rewatched this recently. It was uh, Ginger Snaps. Like there's just so much to talk about from like female puberty. And female rage and just dealing with all of that stuff, but in the context of werewolves. That movie is really interesting, even though that movie has flaws that stem from the fact that, you know, there's two young actresses who aren't terribly experienced. The acting's not amazing and, you know, the special effects are borderline because of the budget. Like, that movie is great for what it is. Obviously, like, American Werewolf in London is a classic. There are just so few good werewolf movies out there i i don't know what it is like doing werewolves is just kind of difficult because it is expensive it does rely on you having a good werewolf and a good transformation sequence but i don't know i like i can't put my finger on like why that's not more of a thing but i agree with you like i would love to see a really well done modern take on werewolves and i think that's kind of where we both fall down on cryptid's I'm not super interested in a lot of other cryptid stuff, so werewolves might be kind of the extent of it for both of us.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I love I love werewolves. There are the odd cryptids here and there that, like the Rougarou from Louisiana that I I also like, but those are more like very regional. So, but yeah, as far as ones that are like universally well-known, I'd say that I go as far as about werewolves
1: and that's about it. All right, that's going to be it for this week. As always, we are Watch If You Dare. Check out our social media pages on Facebook and Twitter. Download future episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, etc. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, please, please, please.
0: Um, we would love to have y'all join in on our Twitter and our Facebook and discuss scary movies with us. We might start down the line getting some recommendations from y'all of stuff we should you'd be interested in us watching. Um, we have a big list already right now that Mansfield and I have made, but we can always go off that if someone has an uh, interesting recommendation. So that's what I've got to say about that.
1: What about you? Um, once again, I would like to thank my little baby bro, Jesse Mansfield, for our intro and- outro music. Um he can be found on Bandcamp under Partygator, so definitely check out his work. And that's gonna be it, I believe. Take it easy. Yeah. Read horror comics. Yes, read horror comics for sure. Uh read some good horror novels, watch some horror movies, just embrace horror. Get a good outpouring of all of your anxiety and fears for this week. So Alright, well that's it guys. Have a great week. Enjoy life. we will catch you later be be spoopy doopy and be kind to each other